So one more time, good morning. Thank you. It's really good to be with you. If you have a Bible and at the Rock Church, that's always a really good idea. Please open it to the book of Psalms. Um, that's after Job. Now, there's a book we need to go through, don't you think? <laughs> Great summer series, right? And uh, just before Proverbs. Yeah, so we, we decided that that's what we're going to do. I, I've been over the years, uh, it's 14 years since we planted the Rock Church, and almost every summer I've said I am not doing a summer in the Psalms, okay? Sort of a rebellious streak there, whatever. Uh, I love the Psalms. Everybody should love the Psalms. But this year we thought, you know, where we've been going and what we've been doing, uh, we should do that. We should have a look at the Psalms. So what's going to happen is today I'm going to introduce Psalm 1, the beginning, and I'll be opening up the series. And then uh, that's the last you're going to hear of me for several weeks. Uh, I have some vacation coming, but also time off to prep for fall and so forth. So next week, I believe one of our elders, Joey Hutchison, will be speaking on a psalm, and then Rudy, and then a couple of guest speakers from our big sister church in Abbotsford called Northview Community Church, and then Kevin, Kevin Cooper, will be bringing up the last one before I come back, and uh, then I'll conclude the series sometime in August. So that's just a heads up of what we're doing. Here's what I'd like to do as we start. There's only six verses in Psalm 1. Oh, my we're going to spend the majority of our time in the first two. You're welcome. I want to read these verses slowly for you. And I want to ask you in advance, you can maybe even close your eyes. I want you to meditate. Your mind and your heart, meditate on these words. We'll get to who the author is in a minute. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Yeah, gracious Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we thank you so much for yeah, the chance that we get to be here to worship you. Everything that we're doing today has, has been highlighted by a brother who yeah, reminded me this morning that everything we do, um, when we gather together as the church, is worship. It begins with the, the greeting and the fellowship before and during and after. It begins with uh, the, the music, yes, the worship music and the singing, yes. It, worship is included in the preaching of the word and the teaching of our children upstairs and in the meditation that we do as we hear the word and listen to you, Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. It's all worship. It's all worship of you. So, Lord, I pray today that you would really help me uh, as I attempt to unpack, uh, yeah, some really beautiful, wonderful things and hard things in this psalm. And so I pray you would bless us as we hear from you. In Jesus' worthy name I pray. Amen. 
So a little background on the Psalms for those of you. I'm sure most of you know the Psalms. Like they're, they're songs, right? And uh, we've, we've maybe read them, and some of you have meditated on them, which is great and fantastic. But just a little background. We actually get the word psalm from the Greek word psalmos, and it's spelled that way, P-S-A-L-M-O-S. That's where we get the word, and it literally means a poem sung to musical arrangements. That's what it literally means in the Greek. The word that we just read today is the Hebrew word, and it's tihulim, and that word literally means praises. So singing songs with musical accompaniment, despite some of our friends out there in various churches don't believe that musical instruments belong in the singing of the Psalms. They do, but we're praising God with the Psalms. And so that's what it really means. What we call the book of Psalms is actually three books. These books were written uh, over a period of eight, hundred years by various authors. Some would say five to six. There are some unknown authors, as we will see this morning. The most notable, of course, is King David, who wrote 73, which is almost half, obviously, of the 150 Psalms. And uh, so, yeah, a key to understanding of the scene, I think, for the Psalms would be this. They were, for the people of Israel, their hymnal. They were that, but they were also their main go-to. Besides the Torah, they were their the five books of the Bible, the first book, five books of the Bible. They were their main go-to when it came to knowing God, like really knowing him, knowing what he's like, who he is and what he does. And how all of that spills out into who then we are and how then we should live. So that's what it was for them. So the last of the Psalms, I, I looked it up because I, I wasn't sure, uh, was written in approximately 979 BC. So that's like, you know, like that's like 3,000 years ago. And one of the things I want to show you this morning is I think sometimes we look at the Old Testament and go back at that and we kind of look at you know, that, that book and go, that's really old, right? And, and how, how can some of this be really relevant to us today? That's how old it is. And so I feel it's important to note for us today, especially since we're 2,000 years on this side of the cross, and we can see all of the fulfillments, we should be able to see all of the fulfillments about Jesus from the Psalms, as I'll show you a bit this morning. So here's what's also interesting. The first two Psalms are authorless. The author's not mentioned, not told. Now, there's a few psalms like that, and historians believe it's because, well, whoever the author was, the information got lost. But the truth is, these two psalms were never named as an author. And so again, what the people of Israel believe was two things. One, Psalm 1 and 2 were an introduction to the whole Psalter, which is another word for the psalms that we use in liturgy, Um, but also that the first two were not only introduction, but they were actually God who obviously breathes and speaks all scripture. This was God's introduction of himself at the beginning of the Psalms. And that's how they looked at it and they viewed it. And I would encourage us today that we should too. So I do have a three-point outline for you this morning. Don't normally do that. And some people go, oh, it's going to be serious because there's three points. It's true. But I, I, one really good commentator that I read, the man's name is uh, Gerald Wilson's NIV commentary. Really, really good. I'm borrowing his outline because I couldn't come up with something better than my own, except the title. So the title for your sermon today is The Blessed Way. We'll see three things, each two verses. First two verses, guilt by association. Secondly, identifying fruits in verses 3 and 4, and ultimate consequences in verses 5 and 6. Like I said, we're going to spend most of our time on verses 1 and 2 this morning, so let's get going. Number one, guilt by association. Blessed is the man, the words will be on screen, 
who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So earlier when I, before I read the text, I asked you to do something, which was to listen, yes, but to meditate on the words. I wanted you really to think about those words, and so now I want to ask you to think about how did it make you feel when you first heard it read? The first verse, right? And some of the other verses, the consequences verses at the end. How would that make you feel, right? I want to ask when you were coming here today, and some of you knew we were going to do reflections in the Psalms, some of you were going, oh, great, Pastor Glenn, finally. You know, we're going to be listening, we're going to be doing something really warm and fuzzy, and we're going to go home feeling awesome because the Psalms are so beautiful, and it's not going to just be the Apostle Paul's teaching. You know, that dude, right? Well, yes. Yes. <laughs> the Psalms are beautiful. So as I read these over and over this week, here's what struck me. And I want to show you this this week because I believe it's just true. It it struck me, and I I think you may have also felt this if you're honest, reading it or listening to me read it. It's very black and white, isn't it? The terminology that's being written here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, coming from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this author wrote it in such a way that it's, I mean, there's there's just two pictures there, isn't there? There's the righteous, and then there's the, yeah, the, the wicked. This is the Psalms, and it's the introduction to all of the Psalms. Uh, the word wicked is used four times in six verses. I think we're supposed to take note of that. Sinners, scoffers, chaff, perish. And the conclusion itself is also very black and white. God's judgment is that the righteous will be blessed and will prosper. The wicked, no. There's no middle this. It's righteous or wicked. So on that note, I feel that there are a few problematic views (laughs) that we need to look at this morning related to the Psalms. And first, as I sense, like I've said before, many people feel like a summer series in the Psalms is just going to be really, you know, warm and fuzzy and lovely. The Psalms are beautiful, And, and, and it will be, trust me, once I stop preaching and someone else gets up here, okay? It's the text I was given. And, uh, but it's true, they are beautiful. And the one that we read today is beautiful. And we're going to sing a song during communion that's going to highlight the beauty in this text. But we must look at the difficult parts as well. So that leads, in my humble opinion, to problem number one, which is prevailing and a problem in some Christian circles and churches to this day, today especially. There's this idea out there, and I'm, I have to go there because I, I think I'm going to see it in our text. There's this idea out there that the God of the Old Testament is, hold on. Honestly, as I read my Bible, as I go to the Bible and I start looking at the God of the Old Testament, it's like, oh, wait a second. I thought he was the God of love. I, I thought he's Jesus. Well, he is. He is, but we look at that, and some people look at that, and they're thinking about this angry and wrathful God, and it's highlighted. So first, I I really think we need to look at that, and there's two well-known, and I'm not going to mention names this morning. Even if you ask me afterwards, I probably don't want to tell you, but there are two very well-known preachers today, uh, very popular preachers today, and one of them is, he's getting a lot of pushback on Twitter and Instagram and all the rest of it, and so he should. 
because the last year, year and a half, he's been promoting the idea that we need to unhitch the church from the Old Testament. Really? Okay. But then there's, there's another Bible teacher out there, I think is far worse, that's teaching, false teaching, I believe. And uh, the idea is that uh, what you read in the Old Testament uh, is not actually all the time true. Some of the writers who wrote the Old Testament, um, they wrote their perception of God as he saw them, but that's not really the way God is. It's not him at all. They will also promote the idea that what Jesus did was he came and his main goal was to give the God of the Old Testament, some of you heard me say this before, a makeover, right? To show us what God of the Old Testament really is, as if the Father is about the Old Testament and Jesus is about the New. We'll get there. So one of these men, along with several other false teachers over the past 20 years, has literally said this about one of the things that we, we know theologically out of the Old Testament. It's called the atonement. The atoning work that Jesus Christ did on the cross for your sins and my sins, and that, that is that the Father poured out his wrath on Jesus on the cross. And some of these people have concluded that that amounts to cosmic child abuse. That, that is being taught out there. It really is. And so the question is, why are they teaching these things? Why are they teaching these things? Because they're true? No, I don't think so. In, in my humble opinion, it's because they're buckling to the cultural pressure. It, it's, it's not just Christians, as we're going to see, who, who think this way or are being taught this. So look at it this way. Here, here's what can happen, and we're going to see this again in our text today. A person can come to faith in Jesus... And yes, believe that his sacrificial death on the cross is the basis for their forgiveness of their sins today, and, and therefore they, they've got fire insurance and they're going to heaven. And it's beautiful, and it's wonderful, and it's true. But, the, but then they hang around preachers like me and churches like The Rock for a little while, and they go, hold on, hold on. You're asking me, I didn't know, is that in the Bible? You're asking me to accept and believe that too? It, it becomes challenging. Listen, listen. if it doesn't challenge you what the Bible says, then it's, what it's, it's why they were cut to the heart in Acts 2, right? And came to faith in Christ. It was challenging them. And it should be challenging to us. So we then begin to struggle with God's word, and that's what can happen, what is truly saying. And well, then we become open to, and we go looking for people who will actually say to us, no, 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 no. Don't worry about that. that that's crazy. It's actually like this. So in other words, people who were affirmed for us that that can't be God. I can accept this, this, and this, but if that's all God, I don't know I can accept that. It's a challenge. Accept it. That's what we need to do. A little illustration, which is interesting. This happened, I don't know, six, seven years ago. Um, I didn't know my wife was going to be here this morning. <laughs> I thought she was teaching Sunday school. But anyway, apparently what happened, secondhand information here, is that... Um, they actually were, she was teaching uh, through the Old Testament, go figure, and the story of Noah. And, and what had happened on two separate occasions, one individual was, uh, did not want their child to be going to hear about the story of Noah, and the primary reason for that was because, well, we don't teach our... Is there any children down here right now? No, okay, good. Uh, we don't tell our, teach our, our children that Santa's real, right? And, and that, that was what actually was told to me by that person later. And it was like, so we don't want... Our, our child to be taught about Noah because it's not a true story. Okay. 
And then another person whose child had been in the, the, the teaching decided that, well, I'm going to have to check out what's in the curriculum and what my children are going to be taught because I don't want my young children hearing about the fact that God... flooded the earth, and that every living being and animal was put to death besides Noah and his family. I, I don't want my kids knowing that. I mean, that, that's true. That's actually happened here. People can get these thoughts in their minds. And so what do we do? What do you do today? Can you imagine being a, a Sunday school teacher today? I'm not going to get into it too deeply this morning. And you're teaching about Noah. And then you get to the conclusion where God says, I'm going to give you this sign in the sky that represents the fact that I will never do this again. And children go, hold on. So we're not going to go there. There's a second problem. But it's potentially real. There's a second problem. Most false teachers will add that the way to interpret all of the Old Testament is through Jesus. It's, it's just about Jesus' words. Just what Jesus has had to say. In other words, unhitch the Old Testament from the Bible and just listen to Jesus. Well, there's a bit of a problem with that, isn't there? (laughs) I think there's a huge, well, there's several problems with it, but there's, I mean, Jesus never did that. Virtually every one of his teachings in the New Testament, when he's particularly confronting false teachers, Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes that were teaching falsely, He constantly quoted the Old Testament. When he's tempted by the devil in the wilderness, what does he do? He quotes the Old Testament. He quotes the Torah, the Word of God. Repeatedly is what he does. Of course, he he, he quoted in the Old Testament in the famous discourse that he did, uh, the religious leaders, he refused, who who did not want to believe that he was Messiah. Jesus said this to them, and it will be on screen, John 5.39. You guys, by the way, you guys, you search the scriptures. They did. These were religious men. They searched the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And he said this, and it is they that bear witness about me. But Jesus is saying, I'm there. I'm in the Old Testament. So they not only had the Old Testament, another great example is when on the day of his resurrection, I love this story, I've repeated it many times, uh, right, he's risen from the dead, um, and then there's the two, a man and a wife, I believe, were on their way back to the little town of Emmaus. They'd given up hope, right? And, and uh, they're going home because they didn't see the resurrected Jesus, even though he said he would rise. And so they've given up. And he, he comes alongside them on the road, and he asks them, why are you so sad? What's going on here? Right? And they say, well, you know, this, and he tell, they tell them the whole story, you know, like, we, Jesus, and he, and he died, but he said he'd rise again, but then we've never seen him. And, and then some people went to the grave, and the grave was empty, and so it's over, Right? And then these beautiful words, he says to them, actually, we read in Luke 24, 27, and beginning, this is the best Bible study of all time. I would have loved to have been there. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets and the Psalms, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. All the scriptures would be what? The Old Testament. That's all they had. He's there. You can't unhitch this. By the way, he's God. Right? equally with the Father and the Spirit. So I want to put it on screen one more time and read with me once again verses 1 and 2 of our text today. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. So we'll, we'll dive into this word by word in just a few minutes. 
But again, can I ask you this question? Important question. Do you know this person in verse 1? Do you know this person? Let me put it another way. Do you know a person who is so blessed, anyone at the Rock Church, your pastor, (laughs) who is so blessed that they perfectly never walk in the counsel of the wicked, that they are so perfectly blessed that they never stand with sinners and scoffers. They are so blessed that they never sit with them either. Instead, without fail, they daily delight and meditate in the word of the Lord. Do you know anyone like that? I don't. Who is this? This is Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's Jesus in the first verse that is being, we're being presented with. He is the only one who lived this out perfectly. Now, there's a lesson for us in this, which we're going to unpack because that's really important. But the most important thing that we need to see here is, is that our Heavenly Father wants you and I to know that at the beginning of the Psalms, they and the rest of the Psalms speak of his son. They speak about Jesus. So yes, we, I believe, see Jesus here very clearly. And we've learned from our last two messages on discipleship, on being a disciple and making disciples, that as his disciples, we are called and in doing so to become more like him. Discipleship is all about becoming more like Christ. And so that's what this psalm wants to get at. On that basis then, what does verse 1 teach us personally? Well, of course, the first word in there is very important, the word blessed. Again, if many of you have been with us in the last year and a half, I believe, we did a series called The Good Life, Human Flourishing According to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, best sermon ever preached, Peter, number two, sorry, buddy, that was the best sermon ever preached, right? And we learned that that Greek word that starts, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, that Greek word is the word makarios, which, yes, it can be translated as blessed, it's a good translation, it can be translated as happy, but we preferred to look at it from the Greco-Roman and Jewish perspective of that day as the word flourishing. So flourishing are those, in other words, Flourishing are those who are living the good life. And so it's a key here for us to understand this. You you and I are not blessed by what we do. That's not the point of this word. So it's not about, you know, you don't do this and don't do this and don't do that in verse 1, and then you will be blessed. It's the fact that you are blessed and we are blessed, that you can actually not do that. And you can actually live out. So Ephesians 1 chapter, the second verse, I believe, you and I are blessed with, it's past tense, all of the spiritual blessings in the heavenlies now. So already you are blessed if you're in Christ. You already are blessed. Therefore, we are not blessed because of what we do not do, the negative things listed here, but because we are blessed, we can avoid doing what we should not do. You still with me? (laughs) I hope so. So look at verse one now, and let's see three words that I've highlighted there sure you can see them. Three words, walks, stands, and sits. Let me try and paint a picture for you. Walks in the counsel of the wicked first. Every time we see that word walk in the scripture, Paul uses it a lot, right? As you walk, as you walk, as you walk. What he's talking about is your way of life. And and of course, in those days, how did you get anywhere? You walked. You walked to the marketplace, you walked to your job, you walked into the fields. It's your life. It's your spiritual life. It's your Everyone's walk is their life. It's not a stroll. It's about our daily life. And so imagine this. Imagine it this way. 
Imagine that you're a young Christian. We've been kind of alluding to that uh, already, and, and you're young in your faith. Um, you're a young Christian regardless of whether you're 20 or whether you're 60. You know, you, you could be still a young Christian. And, and you're beginning this walk, and as you're going about your life during the week, you, know, you run into some of your old friends who knew you before you became a Christian, a disciple of Jesus Christ, before you were born again and you were changed, who knew you, you maybe neighbors, coworkers, who know you as a new you now or now know that you are a Christian. And in some innocent way, they might say, yeah, listen, you know, Glenn, it's been, it's, hey, it's cool, it's good to see you again, great uh, talk with you, but i got to be honest with you, Glenn, I, you know, i got lots of questions about this Christianity thing, you know, and, and one of them happens to be, it really is, it's about, you know, as I read the Old Testament, I, I don't know, like I, I've read it, and, and listen, you need to, I don't know if you know this, but there's a guy by the name of Richard Dawkins, wrote a book called The God Delusion, a very famous atheist. I, I would encourage you to go and, and just search on Google uh, his quote about the God of the Old Testament. I was going to read it to you here this morning, but it's just nasty because <laughs> he thinks the God of the Old Testament is a very nasty, vile, angry, horrible person. A lot of people read that book. And so you wonder where those ideas come from. Now you're talking to an old friend and they're coming from that perspective. Well, what do you do? We're in a pretty precarious place, are we not? Because I know some of you. I know some of you. Some of you are like me. Well, let's talk about that. <laughs> you know, let's, let's get it on, right? That's a precarious spot. But listen, either you know the answer appropriately to the objection, really know it, and you can defend it, or you're in a really, really difficult place. You, you might begin to listen to their counsel which is what they believe, right? And begin to, begin to have your own doubts, especially if you're young in faith, if you're young in the foundational truths of the gospel and of the word of God and your understanding of the Old Testament. And so, you, you know, it's, it's, I would suggest it's walking right into the enemy's trap, which began when he said the words famously in Genesis, did God really say? And then he followed that up with the greatest lie of all time. You shall not surely die. Oh, that's good counsel. So at that point, what you should do, what I should do, keep walking. <laughs> when, when someone hits you with something like, unless you are prepared, unless you know the answer and you can defend it appropriately, you should keep walking. You really should. You should keep walking so that that doesn't happen. Now, now you may be able to answer something like this. Well, you know, I, I know about this God, and I don't think you really do. I really do know him. I've, I've realized that one of the things about him is he loved me so much that he sent his son into this world to die for me so that I could be forgiven of my sins. And now today I believe I am. And so, yeah, there's a lot of things about this God that I'm still learning about, but I trust him. I trust him. And then you should start walking. <laughs> you really should start walking. Otherwise, listen, because there's... Many other things that they could hit you on, not just the God of the Old Testament, right? It could be about creation evolution. <laughs> yeah, good. Have fun with that. How about sex and gender? How about marriage? Right? Listen, there's God's word, God's counsel, and the counsel of the... It's black and white. It's black and white. Stands in the way of sinners. So what can happen next is this. You know, you're, you're walking by, you're going through, having a dinner with someone, and they have the conversation, and then all of a sudden, you know, rather than 
keep walking, all of a sudden you stand. And you go, oh, you know what? I'm going to have dinner with them next week, and we're going to talk about this some more. Because you know what? They made some really good points. I, I think, you know, maybe I should, you know, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe I can still, you know, convince them or, you know, figure this out for myself. But we then stand. We stop walking, and we stand, what, in the council of the unbeliever who in God's economy and in God's word is wicked in their understanding about God and who he is, and we can begin to doubt even more. We can begin to doubt even more. Finally then, listen, if we don't start walking and we stop and stand, we could eventually sit with the scoffers and the mockers. And guys, I've seen this repeatedly in my Christian walk, especially since being a pastor, where people, they, this is what happens. They end up walking away, walking away not just from the church, not just from this church, but from faith, in fact. And then what they do is they mock and scoff the church, the bride of Christ. We need to trust the whole counsel of God. Amen? First and foremost, know it and trust. We started out with the positive note of being blessed, and then it turns to this negative, pointing out the lifestyle to be avoided, the, the sequence of walks, stands, sits, sits, by the way, describes the life immersed, focused on the association with those who actually oppose God. That's the path. It's a very dangerous path. And so the psalmist, who I believe is God the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, wants us to know that that's something we should avoid. So what do you do? Verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law on his law he meditates day and night. <clears throat> so this then is the alternative lifestyle of the faithful Christian, the faithful follower of Jesus. The alternative, and honestly I would suggest the antidote, really is to first delight in the law of the Lord. Law here and, and in most of the scripture's teaching is not just about the Ten Commandments. It's not just about the first books of the Bi- five books of the Bible. It is the whole counsel of God. That's what they would have sensed and believed when they heard this in the earliest writings of Psalm 1. This is the whole counsel of God. And, and so delight in it. In other words, delight in it more than any other author, writer, blogger, video YouTuber, this. Delight in this. Delight every morning opening this up and going to it. That's what he's getting at. And that is accomplished by the second. And this is the important part. It's, it's about meditating on it. Oh, come on, guys. I know. Trust me. I've been a Christian probably longer than most of you in this room, and that doesn't mean I'm all the way there yet because I'm not. But I know how hard morning devotions are. I know how hard it is to sit and read and then just like, and we're not talking this kind of meditation, okay? We're not talking that. What, let me give you a picture. It's a little bit like, and I kind of alluded it to early on, it's a little like, like digestion, right? It's a little bit, what do you do when you go out for a really wonderful dinner at some of the great restaurants in Squamish? Well, the first thing you do is you, you chew on this flavorful and savory meal. Isn't it awesome? And you're, you're, you're really enjoying it. And you're almost, I don't even want to swallow it now. No, but, but then you do, you swallow it. Why? Because the most important thing about the food that you put into, by the way, foodies, is not the recipe, and it's not the chewing of it. The most important point of food is digestion. 
Because once it gets into your stomach, you digest it. And what does the digestive system do? It separates the nourishment from the waste. Okay, I'm not going to go there any further, but that's the picture. Right? It's about getting the nourishment from what you're eating. Delight in it. Meditate on it. Chew on it. Swallow it. Digest the Word of God. You know what? The Holy Spirit will help you do that. He will. He will help you and he helped me. And that's the whole point of the spiritual nourishment that God wants us to have. Jesus said it very well in Matthew 4. It is written. Matthew 4, 4. I think it'll be on screen for you. Um, thank you. <laughs> my, hold on. We're going to do this. She needs my finger on the computer. Because the passcode is my finger. I'm sorry. Well, that was fun. This is going to make my, my sermon longer than it's supposed to be. We're getting there. Yeah, Matthew 4.4, 4. is it, have we got it? Yes, there it is. It is written, where? In Deuteronomy, in the Old Testament. Beautiful picture of exactly what we're talking about. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every word, Genesis to Revelation, every word. All scripture is God-breathed. We know that from 1 Timothy. So, let me put it to you this way. I want to show you this as we conclude that part. That's point one, by the way. And that is this. The way of Jesus actually reverses the order that we originally saw. It, it, it switches from walking, standing, and sitting, right, to sitting first, meditating and digesting the Word of God. Then standing. What does that mean? It means standing on the Word of God and with the Word of God, whom we're yoked to every day when we go out into this world. And then finally, what? Walking. And doing what? Going and making disciples who make disciples. You all knew I was going to get there at some point today. Point number two, identifying fruit. Verses three and four. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. So this is what flows out, the author is wanting us to know, of delighting and meditating on the Word of God. What flows out is a fruitful life. That's what comes out of it. And out of our Fruit of the Spirit series that we went through a little while ago and the discipleship series, that's the point. That's the whole point. That's what's the flow out of it. The good life is those who are blessed, as we've already read. We are planted, look, in this text, I believe, by God. That's the idea that you and I are planted by God. And he is the one who provides this water for us, all the nourishment that we need. He's the one doing all that for us. We are secure in him. We will, in Christ, never what? Perish. We will never perish. We will never perish. And then, yes, sadly, it says here, the wicked sinners and scoffers, will, listen, despite their human efforts at achieving the good life, it's chaff. As the author of Ecclesiastes says, it's just vanity. It's just wind. It's vapor. It's gone. That's actually point number two. 
We're at point number three, the last two verses. Ultimate consequences. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So listen, don't misunderstand these words. It could be misread. Um, I'm sure most of you are not doing that, but it's not saying that the wicked will not be judged. What it's saying is, interestingly, that word stand, is they will not be able to stand against the judgment of God. There will be no defense. They won't be able to stand at that time. They will also not stand with the righteous, which tells us there will be a separation. Serious. These are serious consequences. So the concluding words actually are very reminiscent of Jesus' words in Matthew 7 again, where he said this, enter by the narrow gate, right? For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it by it are many, many on the wrong road. And then he says, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to the life. And those who find it are few. Yeah, it's, it is, the Christian life is awesome. It's the best life ever, but it's not a cakewalk. A lot of challenges there for us. But it's very black and white in Jesus' words here. The righteous and the wicked. Then he added, saying to those who actually thought who were listening to him that one day, oh yeah, no, listen, based on our keeping of the law and our self-righteousness, oh yeah, no problem, we'll be there. We've got this figured out, Jesus said to them. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And that's exactly what we just read in Psalm 1-6, right? For the Lord knows. The Lord Jesus, by the way, right now, today, if you're in Christ, if you've professed faith in him and you know you have, he knows you. Now, he knows everybody, but he really knows you. (laughs) Because what? You know him. He's revealed himself to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. So in conclusion, a couple things. There's a well-worn saying that is true and applicable for today. God is not good if he's not just. You heard that one before? God is not good if he's not just. I I walked with a young man in our church this past week uh, for an hour or so, and we had a really good talk, and we started talking about this subject, and I asked him this question. I said, you know, what, what if something really, really terrible, horrible happened to you or your wife or your son or whatever? I mean, really bad. I'm not going to get into the details of what I said that could be because it's, it's, would be very sad. I said, what would you want more than anything else? You know what he said? Good answer. Justice. I would want justice. And I said, well, where in the world do you think you even got that idea? <laughs> how, how did we even come up with human beings that there needs to be something called justice for wick- wickedness and evil? Can I show you where we got that? We got it here. We got it from the God of the Old Testament. And that's all he's ever been doing is punishing wickedness and evil. And one day, even the wicked and the evil will confess that he was right. That's what the scripture actually teaches us. So a couple of weeks ago, I I, I told you I had to laugh when Rudy uh, opened the discipleship series. Because remember what he did? He told us about the C2C guy when he was going through church planter assessment who asked him the, 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 the really interesting question, have you read the whole Bible, Rudy? And, and Rudy's like, um, boom, right? 
so then I confessed to you three weeks ago that, you know, like there was a time at a church that I was going to where the, the, the pastor there asked me, Glenn, would you like to do an adult Sunday school class? You got 16 weeks. And I was like, sure, sure, I, I can handle that. And I said, yeah, I'll do Romans because there's 16 chapters. And I confessed to you two weeks ago that that was foolish, right? Because I, I got into it. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I also want to tell you this this morning. Planted this church 16, 14 years ago. And, and what I've realized, I think I was two to three years in, and I went out for lunch one day with one of my mentor pastors who had been listening to some of my sermons, and I said, buddy, I don't, I don't know. What, I don't know. And he goes, Glenn, here's the rule of thumb for all of us as pastors. You throw out your first 200 sermons. <laughs> Not that they were wrong, but here's what I didn't know, and I still don't know really well yet today. I did not know then the full arc of the story of God. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Why am I telling you that this morning? None of us do. That's why you need to delight and meditate every day on this. Chew on it together in missional community group. Digest it together. Don't do the knots that we read in verse 1. Stand, stand, and then go and profess Christ. Pray with me, would you? Uh, Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you once again so much for this day. Uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, your word is, uh, it's the bread of life. Um, Thank you so much for it. Thank you that that, that the truth is, is this is all we actually need. Well, we need you, Holy Spirit, to illuminate illuminate our minds and our hearts about it. We do need each other to disciple one another, to hold each other accountable. But it's based on this. This is how we know you. So I want to thank you. We thank you for, yeah, for letting us have it today in the ways that we have it, in printed books and on our phones and on our tablets. And we have such access to it, Lord. So I thank you for that. Lord, I pray for us as a church. I pray for everyone here today. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would speak to every heart that needs to hear whatever they needed to hear. And I pray you would bless us in that. And you would call us to what you want us to do in our walk in faith with you. Amen.